We've been in a series. This is the last message. You don't have to feel like, well, you left out. Well, you should feel that way anyway. But uh, you can go online. All the messages are archived. But we've been 12 weeks following this guy named Job, and which most people avoid. Uh, but it's probably one of the most encouraging books in the, in, the, in the Bible when it's understood properly. And hopefully we've been able to accomplish that. But he's a guy that if you know his backstory, most of you do, he lost everything in one day, all of his livelihood, 401ks, all of his investments, everything in one day. Worse than a stock market crash, he lost it all. On top of that, he lost all 10 of his children, were destroyed. Uh, and then after that, he was afflicted with a, a disease from darkness, from hell. Uh, we don't know which disease it was, but it cracked his skin and caused him in, in just pain that emaciated his body. And, and he was, then he, on top of that, his, his wife told him to curse God and die. And on top of that, his friends show up. Instead of bringing comfort, they bring condemnation. They're used of the evil one. And so here he is. And so I thought, this is our last message, but I thought what a treat it would be to have Job introduce the resurrection to us this morning. And, and this is something that, that not many people have seen. That's always a dangerous thing. It could be because it's not true, uh, but there are a lot of people that have seen this. Uh, but we're going to use Job as the first witness of the resurrection. And now the, the literal first witness, literally, that saw, don't blurt it out, let me see a hand, who was the first person to witness the living Lord Jesus out of the tomb. Let me see a hand, hand, or you'll stay after church, pick up all the programs. And uh, these are old timers. Somebody that you guys know the answer. Yes, ma'am. I don't care. Yeah. Mary Magdalene, a woman, first witness. Come on. She rocked it. That's Jesus and God's little way of saying, things are going to be different for you ladies. Things are different. That's why Kim pastors. That's why there's no lid in the kingdom. And Jesus said, let me just give this honor to a woman that had seven demons cast out of her, a woman that was redeemed and understood that her redeemer lived. So she's the first witness after the resurrection, but the first witness before the resurrection is our friend Job. And so I want to go there right in the middle of the book. This isn't the end of the book when everything gets restored to him. Then when he's healed, this is the middle of the book when he's in the darkness of the darkness. And, and I want to kind of put that in a setting because what he says means so much more than when you know where he is and what he's going through. Remember, he's, he's, he's living in the, the dung heap, the dung hill of the city, the garbage dump where they send the refuse and the wild dogs eat the garbage and lepers would be banished there. And it's the place of outcast. And he's, he's in this dark ashes of, of life and he's scraping himself with the broken pottery because his skin's cracked. He literally has worms in his skin. He's, he's emaciated. He knows he's facing death. It's imminent. And he's at his last. And he's, he's been beat on and beat on and beat on by the devil, but he doesn't know it. He thinks it's God. Let's just kind of get the context. More than the physical suffering, the emotional suffering in chapter 19, verse 19. Job says, all my intimate friends detest me. Now think about that. Whether you have one friend or 20 friends, just think of one day, all of your friends just turned on you. And they didn't just reject you, they talked stuff about you that was wicked. You talk about bullying. 
Job was bullied by his friends. They detested him. He said, those that I loved had turned against me. These are people he shared secrets with, people he cried with, people he did life with. Now he's alone. He's abandoned. And verse 20 says, I'm nothing but skin and bones. I've escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Remember, you ever heard that phrase? This is a poetic way, as Job is written in, in a poetry style, that doesn't take away from the reality of the story. But think of that, of saying, I've, I've just made it by the skin of my teeth. Basically, the only skin I got left are the gums around my teeth. That's what it means. Job's like, I'm, I'm at the point, the only thing I got left, I'm hanging on by my gums. When you're gumming yourself to hang on, you're at the bottom. Got no teeth, just gums. Skin of my teeth's what I got left. Job's at the bottom. And then he says, verse 21, think of, feel this, enter into it. Think of just your lowest moment in life. And Job says, have pity, have mercy on me. Have mercy, my friends, have mercy. Think how humbling that was to ask for friends' help and mercy. And, and sometimes we hate to, to humble, but Job's broken. He's, he's desperate. He's hoping for someone to help him get out of this, but his friends reject him. And verse 22, he says, why do you pursue me? I'm sorry, verse 21, let me finish. Have pity on me, my friends. Have pity for the hand of God has struck me. But that's, that's, that's a demonic lie. You've learned that from the first chapter where it's Satan that strikes him. God allows it. And God could have stopped it, but God didn't instigate it. The Satan brought the darkness. So many things get blamed on God that are from the dark side. I would say Ian was blamed on God. Well, you know, acts of God, that was a dark storm for us. That was a demonic storm. That wasn't a blessing of God. Oh, God blessed us with a category five and destroyed our stuff. Now, the name Ian means God is gracious, and we have that on our honey truck that we bought after the storm to poke the enemy in the eye to say, you didn't win with the storm. We're still standing. We're still here. We still believe. We're not just Florida strong or Pine Island strong or Fort Myers Beach strong. We're Jesus strong. Amen? It's not by the strength of my geography. It's the strength of my God. And so we recognize that in the middle of the storm, out of the storm, God has brought honey. We've used that analogy of Samson killed the lion, and he went back and he found honey in it. Good things can come out of bad if you have faith. If you don't, you just be bitter, be angry, be upset, and life's not fair. But Job says, God struck me, my friends, they won't let up on me. He says to them, you're acting like you think you're God. Verse 22, why do you pursue me like God does? Can't you get enough of my flesh? The idea there is slandering me, accusing me. You're, chew, you're biting, devouring me with your words. You're, you're cannibalizing me. Those are his friends. And that's what he felt his God was doing. It wasn't true. And then he cries out in verse 23, oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll that they're inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. He wanted somebody to remember him. He wanted somebody to recognize how unjustly he'd been, and he's about to make a statement that he wanted in print. He didn't know there was going to be a book of Job. He's living the book of Job. He is the book of Job. 
And God heard his cry and wrote. Now, we don't know who wrote it. Job obviously passed it on. He could have wrote it to a degree, and someone turned it into a little more of a poetic presentation of it, but it's still a real man suffering, real pain, real anguish on a dunghill, giving up on everything and everybody else giving up on him. But Job says, I want you to remember my words. Now, he's about to have a, a, a moment. Moments are good when they're Holy Spirit moments. There's no other explanation about what's about to happen than the Holy Spirit. Now, in the book of Job, there's no mention of the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean he's not present. To think that God's going to let the devil do all his dirty work and just stand back and go, I don't know. I can't do anything about it. I don't know. What can I do? What can you do? The Father sends his spirit unknown to his servant, Job, that he's assisting, he's helping, he's empowering him. Even in this moment, he's about to have a burst. I've never fought uh, in any military battle, and, and, but I honor veterans that, that have and been through that. But I've, I've seen scenes and reenactments of stories of, of, of people under siege, and it's dark, it's night. They're, they don't know if the enemy's creeping in, coming up on them, going to assault them in the night, and they'll shoot off a flare. And then a flare goes off. And it illuminates 360 degrees. And they can see the enemy, where he is. Is he making progress? Is he setting a trap? Is he on his way? There's this illumination that gives light in the middle of the dark. Somehow, the Holy Spirit is about to shoot a flare off. In the middle of the darkest time in his life, he gets this moment of inspiration. This is going to explain why his faith never has given up. Before they put this picture up there, let me explain it to you. There's a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. It's an old book, and it's, 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 it's a wonderful allegory of uh, a guy wrote it in prison uh, uh, several hundred years ago uh, and, and, uh, named Bunyan, and it's called The Pilgrim's Progress. The Pilgrim is a guy trying to find his salvation. He's, he's uh, seeking after the kingdom of God, and he has all these different experiences. One of them, he comes in this house. It's called the interpreter's house, which represents the Holy Spirit. And he's got this, this, this host that's showing him around with a candle. And he comes up to this wall, and in this wall, there's a fire coming out. But the fire is being having water poured on it by this smirking, nasty-looking, demonic demon, pouring water on the fire that represents the faith. He can't understand why in the world that fire's not going out, and the interpreter takes him to the other side of the wall. And let's put up this picture. I know it's not a great picture, but it'll illustrate a little bit what's going on with Job. So on the right, you're right, you see the, the demons. Now, this is Pilgrim and the interpreter in the back, but this is the demon. He's pouring water onto the fire. But he can't understand why the fire won't go out because hidden behind the wall is this simple, humble servant representing the Holy Spirit with a little can of oil. And just one drop at a time. Bloop. Bloop. That's why the fire doesn't go out. It's not that the fire is big, bad, strong, and tough. Job's faith didn't sustain because he's superhuman. He's just like us. In fact, after this burst of faith, he's going to go back in the hole. He's going to get knocked down again. But he gets back up. You can't beat a guy that gets back up. You can't beat a girl that gets back up. He just keeps, why? Why did he get back up? He's going to give you the secret. Verse 25, chapter 19, one of the greatest statements, the confession, the first, I'm calling him 
the first witness of the resurrection. Chapter 19, verse 25, Job erupts. I know! He screams us into the dark as a light would shine, illuminating everything. I know that my Redeemer lives. Now, you got to feel this here. you got to, you got to, it just, this is one of the most powerful verses in the Scriptures thousands of years before Christ comes to earth, takes a body like ours, becomes flesh and blood relative to us so that he could die on the cross, be resurrected, and become our Redeemer. God was called the Redeemer in the Old Testament, and he would redeem his children out of Israel. He brought them out of bondage. The word Redeemer comes from a Hebrew word, goel. Goel is famous in the story of Ruth, where Naomi loses her husband and loses her sons. She's a Job-like woman suffering, and she finds Naomi, I mean, and she finds Ruth. Naomi is embittered. She said, don't call me Naomi, call me bitterness. And in the middle of her bitterness, she meets a kinsman, a relative of hers, that purchases her debt, that's able to liberate her from poverty and bondage, and he redeems her. It's her kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer was the one that had the right, if you assaulted one of the kinsman's relative, the kinsman could come after you as an avenger of blood. And if you're guilty, the avenger is bad to the bone. He's going to get you, and you're going to pay the price for assaulting his family member. Job says, I have an avenger. Whoever's been coming after me, he's coming after you. Whoever's been assaulting me, he's going to assault you. Job says, I have a redeemer. Not, I, I might, I hope, 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 hope. Please be true, please be true, please be true. This is a conviction born in the middle of no reason to have it. Everything says you have no redeemer. Everything says you're lost. Everything says God's forgotten you. But Job, with that drip of the Holy Spirit, drip, drip, the flame of faith won't go out. Satan goes crazy. What do I do to shut this guy up? What do I do to get this guy to curse God? I've taken everything he owns. I've destroyed his children. I've attacked his wife. I've destroyed his body. I've assaulted him with his friends. I've had everybody abandon him. And this guy's still standing there saying, I know not that the Redeemer lives, but I know my Redeemer. You know, Psalm 23, we use pretty much every memorial we do. Pastor Kim will often open with it. And she stresses as she reads it, the key word in the whole Psalm 23, where it talks about the Lord being the shepherd. He starts out saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Other than that, it's, it's theoretical. It's truthful to say the Lord is the shepherd, but if he's not your shepherd, then he's not your shepherd. If he's not your redeemer, then you're not redeemed. But when you've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, when he's paid your debt, when he's liberated you and avenged you, you can say, I know my redeemer lives. Now somehow, in the middle of this, the Holy Spirit gives him this 
prophetic view into the future. Thousands of years. You see, it happens in the Old Testament. Most people don't get this about Job. He was a prophet. He doesn't call himself that, but he's prophesying here. This is, this is, this is no human way for him. This is what drives theologians crazy with the book of Job. Because they leave out that God who created the universe, that already made the plan, that already knew the Redeemer was coming, that promised it in the book of Genesis, which Job knew about. He said, I'm going to send my Redeemer. He will crush the head of the serpent. Gave the promise to Eve. So Job comes out and he says this, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand upon the earth. The end of what? Well, you, some say, well, it's the end of Job's life. Well, that's true. But that's not all the truth. He didn't just see the end to his life. He saw past the end of the end to the end of everybody's life. He saw the end of the world. He saw Jesus standing on the dust. The word there for earth is the same word for dust. It can apply to, you know, literal dust that Job's in and the dunghill, the dust heap, the, the, the ashes. It could refer to Job's grave. In a sense, Job's planting a flag. He says, as though he's dead. And he says, you know, I'm planting a flag right here in Dung Hill. Put my tombstone right here. And on his tombstone would have been engraved, my Redeemer lives. No, I didn't do a study on this, and don't do it during church. You'll lose your phone, won't get it till afterwards, and you'll have to do detention. So it just sounds good. Don't spoil the story with facts. Just live in the mystery. But my wife and I, when we travel, one of the things I love to do, especially when we go, well, I've done it in North Georgia and, and North Carolina, but we'd love to do it in, 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 in Scotland, is go to old graveyards. And I, I love to walk around, and I love to read the gravestones. And one of my buddies, uh, Pastor, uh, said he's going to put on his gravestone. I know this will be a little offensive. It's Easter, but get over it. He's going to put on his gravestone. Damn, that was fast. <laughs> I'd love to give credit to who said that, but I might be in deep trouble if I did. But I could be bought after church. Just I'm thinking of free lunch somewhere. You'll get it out of me. Job's tombstone would have said what many do. My Redeemer lives carved in the stone. Job said, I would, and my story was carved in the stone. Not only has it been carved in the stone, it's been put into music in Handel's Messiah. He uses this verse, and he sings of the glories of the resurrection out of this verse. He says, Jesus is going to have the last word. He's going to stand on earth. You want to know what that last word is? Hold your finger here. We'll come right back. I'm going to show it to you in 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul writing about the resurrection of Jesus. He describes this new body that we're going to get. He, res he was resurrected. That gives us the guarantee that we will be resurrected. In 1 Corinthians 15, 54, he says, when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, that's this body that we have. We're going to put on a new, this body, but remade, transformed. It's going to be an immortal body. He said, then the saying will be written, and it will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Come on. Jesus on the cross, death thought it was winning. 
He was swallowing it, taking it in, defeating it. Death is swallowed up in victory. Then, then Paul goes into this taunting song. Think of na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na, hey, hey, goodbye. I did that after one of my daughter's uh, basketball game, and they said, Dad, that's stupid. You're making it up. I said, I'm not making it up. We sang that back in high school. That's a taunting song. They still thought I was stupid till Remember the Titans, one of the best movies ever. Denzel, man, he rocks it in that. And they remember him getting on that bus saying, na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na. Hey, hey, death loses. That's what Paul does. He takes his fingers and pokes death in the eye. Just pokes him. Just gouges him. There's a little bitty Paul. This is a taunt. This is the one that's made everybody afraid throughout history. I'm going to kill you, destroy you. Cancer's going to get you. Heart attacks after you. Strokes coming. Tumors are coming. I'm coming for you. And death has taunted us our entire life. Death taunts you over the loved ones you've lost, people you've buried, too young that died, people that have been deceived by darkness and took their own life. Satan stands over the grave and thinks he has the last word. Job says, no, no, seen the end. The end isn't death celebrating it's jesus standing saying na 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 <laughs> verse 55 where o oh, death is your victory where o oh, death is your sting the sting of death is sin the power of sins the law but thanks be to god he gives us the victory through our redeemer doesn't say that just through our lord jesus christ the, the idea there is that's our redeemer because he lives, we too shall live. That's why you put on tombstones, my Redeemer lives. I don't know if it's going to be on yours or not. If he's not your Redeemer, it ain't going to be on there. You can put it on there, and it'll make it true. You can tattoo it on yourself. But if it ain't in your heart, like Job, and look what he says after he makes that confession Jesus is going to have the last words. He says in verse 26, after my skin has been destroyed, the idea is eaten with worms. Worms win. It seems like death wins. Job, you're going to lose, buddy. Death's coming for you. Worms are eating you even now before you're dead. Job says, yet in my flesh I will see God. Now some say, well, that's at the end of the book. Yeah, but that ain't the end of the story. Because he's describing death here, and he says in verse 27, I myself will see him, my own eyes and not another. My heart yearns within me. See, that's the flame of faith that Cassie had that was 17 years old at the first mass shooting that the demonic powers of hell decided this is how we're going to terrorize families. We grew up terrorized by getting under the desk for a nuclear holocaust attack. Like that's going to help you crawling under a desk. It was just the most stupid thing. All it did is traumatize us. Whoever came up with that should be beaten with a stick, tied under a desk. Don't Google that, whoever came up with it. Somebody on some school board, whatever, came up with that. Stupid. Now, 
the maniac, the demon-possessed, wicked young man that thought he was big, bad, and tough because he could shoot somebody with a gun that didn't have a gun. And he came up to a young teenager, and he pointed the gun at her head and said, do you believe in Jesus? She looked at him and says, yes, I believe. And she, he shot her in the head. She's dead. But her Redeemer lives. So she lives. Death is swallowed up in victory. He didn't win and he won't win. He wants to boast and brag and jump up and down. Job says, let him jump up and down on my grave. I planted a flag. I said, my Redeemer lives. I'm not worrying about the worms winning because I'm going to see God in this body. I'm going to be ready. I don't know. That drives these commentators insane how Job could come up. He's not smart. It's not that he's supernatural. Holy Spirit just went, your Redeemer lives. You're going to see him. Look at this. Showed him the future. I don't know what all he saw. He saw enough to know that he's going to see God in his body and his heart yearn for it. Now, you would think his friends, are they hear this. He's, he's confessing publicly. This isn't some personal faith. My Redeemer lives. I just want anybody to know. My Redeemer lives. Nobody heard that, did you? No, no. Christianity, walking with Jesus, is not a private affair. Out yourself. Go public. Because until you do, you'll not be able to stand against the powers of hell that come after you. You'll be reinforced by the power of the Holy Spirit when you go public with your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this confession didn't solve all Job's problems. It brought more on him. His friends, you would think they'd go, wow, Job, what a word. Man, I'm convicted. Can I, let me know, what, how do you know that, Job? Tell me about your Redeemer. I wonder, what is redemption? All we know is judgment. All we know is condemnation. All we know is hell. We don't know about grace. But they don't respond that way. I just want you, to, I want you to get this in the next chapter. This guy named Zophar, who is a soul killer. He's a faith robber. He's demonic. Now, he repents at the end of the book. You want to cheat and read the back of the book. He repents and gets forgiven. But right now, he's a jerk. He's evil. He's wicked because he's letting Satan. Satan's enraged at this. Satan doesn't go, oh, look. They stood and said yes to Jesus as their redeemer. Let's have a party. Let's be nice to him today. He unleashes hell on you when you when I took a stand for Christ, I thought my friends would go, high five, good job, Jamie. They're like, you're a moron, Stilson. You're induced into some cult group. I got called names. I got rejected. I stopped getting invited to anything. I thought that was a dishonor. Really, it was an honor. They didn't want me around because I talked about Jesus. He changed my life. I met him on a dunghill. I met him as a mess, empty, lost, angry, aimless. When I found out I had a redeemer that lived, I told people about it. Now, I probably didn't always do it the best way. Probably a little obnoxious. Uh, but, you know, I'll take that any day over a Christian that says, I don't want to tell, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to tell anybody. I don't, I don't want to, you know, politics and religion is supposed to be private. Keep politics private, but not, not your faith. 
Shut your mouth about your, your, your politics. Some of you, you're bold as a lion about your politics. I don't care. Your politics ain't going to save one soul, but your Redeemer who lives, he will save souls. So shut up about the politics. Start talking about Jesus. Christians get all bold online, Facebook. I'm, I'm bold. I, I don't care. You're not helping anybody. You might try to get somebody elected, but that ain't going to change the world. Let me tell you something that will change the world is getting a generation that understands that their Redeemer lives. Getting a generation to understand that there's a power greater than the powers of hell and darkness and deception that's unleashed. Hell has been unleashed on this generation. I've never seen anything like it. The perversion, the confusion, the aimlessness, the darkness, the hopelessness. It's a demonic outbreak. But in the middle of it, watch what God does. In the middle of his darkness came a light. He shot a flare up. Look, Jesus is Lord. He stands on the earth. He has the last word. Job says, so Zophar says, he says, you know what, Job? He applies something that's a terrible truth. It's true. God will judge the wicked. He will bring low the proud. But he applies this in an ungodly way to Job on his spiritual day of victory and confession. He says to Job in chapter 20, Surely you know how it's been from of old, ever since man was placed on the earth, that mirth of the wicked is brief. In other words, you got a little joy, Job. It ain't going to last. The joy of the godless lasts what for a moment. In other words, you're a wicked, Job. This, is, this faith thing ain't going to last. This is demons of hell using the truth of God against the child of God. He says in verse 6, though his pride reaches to the heavens, you think you're talking, you, got, you, you come in touch with God, you, you got the Redeemer, you're going to be brought down. Verse 7, you're going to perish like your own excrement, whatever that word is. I know why people use the shorter version of that word, because it's just too difficult to say excre excrement. Excrement. I, I just excremented, honey. <laughs> just doesn't have the same. But it's Easter, and we'll be good. Thank you, Jesus. I got a friend here finally. He doesn't want to hear the pastor cussing on. I think I already did, didn't I? Yeah, I did on the tombstone. Okay, failed that test. Now, think about this. Put it in the context. You stand up today. He says, you're going to perish like your own dung. Those who have seen you are going to say, you're nothing. You're gone. Where is he? You're like a dream that flies away no more. Nobody cares about you. God doesn't, God didn't do anything. What do you think you did by making that confession of fear? You're nothing. You're worthless. And if you don't think people don't, when they leave the vineyard or anywhere else where they take a faith stand, I tell people all the time when they do that, the devil's going to try to come to you in some form and tell you what you did was meaningless. What you did, you'll, you'll stumble you'll, you'll, like Job does. He goes back, he has anxiety, and he still has anger and fear. He hasn't worked out all his issues. He will when God comes and meets with him. But he's human. He's not perfect. His confession didn't, see, you'll confess this, then you'll make some sin, 
And the devil will say, see, you're not different. You're not changed. The fact that you're worrying about being different says that you're different. People that don't know Jesus don't care about pleasing Jesus. But when you say, I want to please Jesus, and then you start realizing how much of your life doesn't please him, then the devil tries to overwhelm you with, you're no good, you're worthless. How could God listen to you? How can he listen to me? It's because I know my Redeemer lives. He's the Redeemer. I'm not. He's the Savior. I'm not. Job got crushed after his victory, but it didn't win because the Holy Spirit went, Drip, drip, the flame lit up again. Job stood and endured. Not perfect. You can't beat somebody that keeps getting back up. You can't beat someone. You knock them down and they get back up. The devil says, stay down. Stay down. You're just going to get knocked down again. Get up by the grace of God. You're going to win because your Redeemer already has. You're going to overcome because he already has. Job, with nothing to go by, but a little drip of oil of the Holy Spirit, a little burst of understanding. We've got the Bible. We've got history. We've got an empty tomb. We've got a Savior that conquered death. We get to look back at Job's looking into the distant future, yet he's rocked with this faith that he's got a Redeemer that's going to come and stand on the earth and have the last word. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? He defeated death. That's why in the book of Revelations it says, Christ will come and wipe away every tear. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more death, disease, rape, wars, pillaging, hate, prejudice, just, just demonic death, suicide. No more. No more. How do you know, Jamie? Because my Redeemer lives. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Remember, if it's not my Redeemer, then he's of no help or value. It doesn't matter that he's someone else's doesn't even matter that you believe he's a redeemer. He needs to become your redeemer. Not in the head, but in the heart. That young girl with a gun pointed at her head, if she didn't have the redeemer living in her heart, she'd have never had the courage to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. But she stands with the redeemer now, and her body will come alive in the last day at the resurrection if you can't say my Redeemer, or you can't say I know my Redeemer lives, then you can settle that this morning right now. Online, you're listening here in the building. It's a, it's a, it's a transaction of trust. It's a leap of faith. The devil will say it's a stupid, meaningless, existential leap of faith based on nothing. No, it's based on the character of God. It's based on the promises of God. It's based on the word of God. It's not a stupid, emotional decision. It's a decision based in truth. My Redeemer lives. How do you know? 
because he lives in my heart? Have you invited Christ into your heart? You can do it right now where you're seated. I'm not asking if you're religious, if you know Bible verses, or even if you would vote on Jesus. This isn't a vote. This is a surrender. This is Jesus Christ is Lord. This is Jesus Christ is my Redeemer. He's come and paid the ransom to liberate me. He's met my murderer, the thief that's come to destroy my life. He's avenges me. He returns the things that have been stolen from me. He's my kinsman redeemer. So you say, Jamie, what do I do? Just whisper a prayer right where you are, right now, between you and Jesus. He hears your thoughts. He hears your whispers. Just say, Jesus, come be my redeemer. Come forgive my sins. Come live inside of me. It may not change the dunghill that you're in right now around you, but oh, does it change the dunghill within you. It becomes the kingdom of God. Light, peace, righteousness, joy, healing, deliverance, restoration, His presence. Come, Lord. Come, Lord, for those that need to take their stand today. Put that flag down right where they are in life and say, today, I went public with Jesus as my Redeemer. Help them, Lord. Holy Spirit, lift them up. In your name we pray.